You're listening to the First Students Podcast, the podcast from the student ministry of First Baptist Church in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And for the first time in a long, long, long I feel like we've been on vacation. Yeah, well, you did go on vacation. Yeah, but that's... Before. Yeah, we did another bo- podcast in between there. Yeah. So. It was kind of, we went to Nashville and then no more podcast. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. The real reason was that SoundCloud only allows you, if you're using the free membership, to upload three hours worth of content at a time. And so... Dumb. It's dumb. But we'll be getting the the deal where we can upload all the hours. Extended edition. What is that from? I don't know. Okay. Um... So to recap, it's been I'm trying to think of all the things that have happened since we stopped doing these. Um, school started. Um, school started. Football season's starting today, actually, on this Thursday that we are recording. Not true. Co- high school football already started. True, but college football. That's true. Starts tonight. Real college football, not the FCS. Volleyball started. Tennis has started. Tennis has been going for a while, hasn't it? Not high school. High school just started because school, right? Oh no! I thought I thought I was talking to Woody, and they he said he had already during had the like, summer. I guess so. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so a lot of things have happened in between now and the end, and so other than recording the five or six episodes that we would take to finish the rest of what we were going through with worship. To get caught up, let's spend just a little bit of time on on reflections and kind of final thoughts about Wilson's gospel-shaped worship, and then we'll kind of segue into Raymond's uh, outreach. You know, I thought thought that gospel-shaped worship was great, just in giving us a general perspective of what worship is, uh, what worship is supposed to be, that it's not just about a music service, it's about uh, every aspect of our lives, kind of reflecting that Romans 12-1 status, just as we started off with right at the beginning of the study. And so that was carried out in every aspect of our lives, how we interact, how we engage, how we um, just live day to day. And so I thought it was uh, was a great study, and I'm really looking forward to uh, the Gospel-Shaped Outreach. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it facilitated some of the best conversation um, out of really any of the studies that I've ever seen or used, um, just in the way it was formatted and, and kind of the way that it, it approached things. Um, one of the things that my dad told me really early on in, in applying to preaching, but I think it, it comes in whenever you're trying to communicate biblical truth, that there's a big difference between being simple and being simplistic. And if you can get to being simple then you're able to get the kind of the weight of the robust theology of the stuff that we're talking about in a way that doesn't almost intentionally shoot over people's heads. Sure. Um, yeah. And I think that's what this accomplished is it was able to take the foundational nature of the gospel and how it affects everything. And I think that's what I enjoy about the entire five episode or five track series that this gospel shaped stuff is. And so how it affects worship and not only, the whole lifestyle thing, but it's a, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of, of how Wilson put it, a way of being, um, and that kind of constant mindset of, of living in the grace and living in light of the gospel. And, and what's that looks like and, and having worship kind of as the foundation. And then next we're going to move into, uh, to outreach. So initial thoughts on, on Raymond's study that we need to get started. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I think it's going to be great because it's going to look at missions. It's going to look at outreach. It's going to look like it's going to look at what our lives look like in the Great Commission, and so it's going to look at all scriptures that point to the same direction and how we uh, engage people and how we um, just engage the world in general in light of who Christ is and what He's done, what how the gospel transforms us. Yeah, and I think that's what what this is going to bring that's different to some other studies that, that focus on evangelism. I think a lot of them take this idea of they're, they're trying to push evangelism while assuming they're, they're trying to impart a love for evangelism, assuming that there's a love for the gospel. But a lot of times there's not a love for the gospel. And then whatever love for evangelism just becomes this very legalistic workspace kind of thing of my spiritual maturity is based off how many times I give my 35 second to two minute spiel at school or at work or at the gas station or kind of wherever you find yourself being able to pass out tracks or, or do these kind of things. And I think what Raymond does is lay that, okay, if you love the gospel and if you truly believe what it has to say, this is the logical next step of that. And it's the, the message that if the gospel is this this rescue kind of mission of, of God, of how he comes to save and how he comes to, to adopt, then you're desire is going to be able to want to see that happen again and again and again and experience the the salvific grace in, in others that you've experienced yourself. And and ultimately that outreach just becomes second nature because it becomes how we live our lives. In light of loving the gospel and understanding that we're sinners in need of a Savior, we see the world through that lens as well. And so that love is then transposed in how we interact and, and engage people. And so I think it's huge as we look at outreach and we look at missions and we look at how uh, God's transformed our lives and how we interact and engage with the world around us through it. Absolutely. Um, so we'll, we'll start to get into some some more application of, of what this looks like. So to kind, to kind of lay the foundation of there's – there's two schools of thoughts, and, and I'm going to lay out the extremes and then let you kind of interact with those. So, so on one side, you have this um, friendship evangelism that, that you, know, you have to earn the right to be able to share the gospel, and you have to know them for X amount of years before you can do it. The Rosario Butterfield is probably the one that people are now pointing to. Of, this person didn't even share the gospel with them for, for years before they knew him and all that kind of stuff. So that you've got that kind of camp of... You want to build a relationship over forever before you even get to anything very spiritual. And then the other side is the kind of street preaching, um, handing out tracks, walking up to the side of the road, and, hey, do you know where you're going to go tonight if you die, all this kind of stuff. So if those are the, the two extremes, where, where do you think the – is there a happy medium? Is it one of those camps is, is inherently better than – the other and and that kind of you you have to throw it out the that salvation is coming from both of those so so what do you do with how do we engage in outreach and what does that look like is it based off the individual is there a specific kind of methodology that actually is more beneficial um i think i think there's a there's probably a happy medium and i think that we see that in the way that christ interacted with people he came in contact with he was constantly i mean granted he's christ and we're not so if you don't know that, that's probably a good thing to mark on your radar. Um, but uh, it was interesting as we go through just scripture in general to look at how 
Jesus interacted with people, how the disciples interacted with people. It wasn't this just, boom, we're going to share the gospel. It was ultimately creating conversation, cultivating a relationship, creating a trust. Hey, this guy actually kind of knows what he's talking about. Just like um, what we've been talking about this week in our devotionals and Acts, uh, is that 17 that we're in, Acts 17? And so Paul at the um, Areopagus, Areopagus, maybe, maybe, I don't know, something like that. Anyways, Paul there, I mean, he's talking to philosophers and he's talking to these Stoics and, you know, initially he just kind of presents some facts and some things that they know and they're like, hey, this guy's not just a babbler. He's not some. He's actually a guy that actually knows what he's talking about. So, I think it's interesting, even in that sense, that Paul was initially going right into sharing the gospel. That, were, but there were some parameters that he wanted to set up to break down some walls of whoever he was talking to, to where there was a trust and there was an understanding that, hey, this guy's not just coming to preach at me and throw on his his religiosity on top of me. He's literally. He knows what he's talking about. He's got some facts, and he's got some a basis for what he believes. And so I think that's huge. It's that cultivating a relationship and sharing the gospel. Because if I think if we wait too long, for like, oh, I'm just going to wait, and I'm going to cultivate this relationship, yeah. and they're going to be lifelong friends, and then I'll share the gospel sometime. Yeah. No. And, and, and that's the I – love, I love Rosario Butterfield's testimony. Um but I think in, in looking at that, you've got to be pretty honest about some of the theological heavy leanings of the pastor that she was talking with. You bet. Um, and so some of those probably played into this lack of urgency that I think you have to have, even if you still lean that direction, a la uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon. Um, you, there's, there's got to be this, that kind of fire shut up in your bones that you've, you've got this message that if you really believe it and you really believe the ramifications of what it entails so if sinners really are going to hell then there should be this um almost desperate kind of passion about about getting the gospel um out but then there's that what is actually going to be the most effective to actually get the so what is speaking the truth in love yeah and i think street preaching often falls outside of that parameter um i think sometimes track giving can fall outside of that parameter because it's trying to relay information rather than building relationship. Um, well, and we, yeah, we, me and Megan were sitting talking to one of our students the other day and mm-hmm. they were talking about, Hey, we were handing out invitations in the park to people. And one per- person literally ran away from us. Yeah. Because it's, it's that whole mindset of they're just, they're trying to get something. They're trying yeah. to get something. They're trying to get something. No, I'm trying to share something. But ultimately if there's no trust and there's yeah. no built up, uh, relationship there in any form. Yeah. And that's where some of that cultural dissection of, okay, handing something out to somebody is always kind of perceived as white noise. I don't want it. You're asking me to come do something. You're going to ask me to commit to something. You're going to try to ask me questions. You want me to sign up for something. You want me to give money to something. So those are kind of the things that are entailed whenever you're trying to pass things out that might not be true from your end, but you have to realize what, what is culture at large going to think whenever they see person X coming, knocking on your door. Right. Um, and, and that, and that's even me. Like if I, if I'm at home, I really don't want somebody that I don't know coming to my house. That's just kind of like in, in my head, that's my parameter of, and unless I know you, unless I've invited you over, 
I really don't want to have a 15 minute conversation at the door. That's just not. And I think that's where a lot of, especially in the South, um, and, and really America as a whole, that the house has kind of become this protected. You bet. We're going to be really outgoing and all that kind of stuff everywhere else. And you're going to be a lot more open on the street or in Walmart or something like that. But, but when you come to the home, there's, there's other things that happen there. And I like one of the things that Butterfield says to, um, about the way in which we share the gospel. So, so the strength of our words can only match the strength of our relationship. You bet. And I think that's where the disconnect is a lot of times. So, and especially for like high schoolers at school in their zeal, they'll share the gospel with a stranger like they would. And in the harshness that they would to somebody they've known for 10 years, it's like, Hey man, you're being stupid and you're sinful and you're going to hell if you don't get this fixed. And that kind of like, it's true, but not helpful. I shut you off when you started talking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, what? Well, first oh, okay. I was like, <laughs> I was like on the computer. Well, I missed a lot of stuff. Um, but but that kind of like the the tone, even if what you're saying is right, if the tone isn't going to be well received, then the message isn't going to be well received. And it's something we think we've always got to be mindful um, of that. A, a couple other things to kind of spur on more conversation. Um, Gospel Coalition article from from May of this year: three ways in which rising secularism affects evangelism. Um, and so I'll just kind of walk through what these are and, and kind of talk through them. Um, the first one, we need to assume less about people's biblical literacy. So, so kind of, wh- yes. what do you think? I totally agree. I think even in the midst of the Bible belt or we, we sit around and we, um, we just totally assume that everybody knows Jesus and everything like that. We are super illiterate, illiterate when it comes to the Bible. I mean, we, we don't know what it says. We don't know what its application is. We don't know what, um, the works, the person and works of Christ. I mean, and so for us to say, well, I believe in Jesus, but then not know anything about who he is, what he's done, what he said, what, what he sent his apostles out to do, what happened in the old Testament through the law and the prophets. I mean, it, it kind of leaves us standing on one leg. Yeah. And I think we can really assume, um, especially any, anywhere that's in the Bible belt, you kind of assume that, You've either been to camp, you've been to a church service, you've been to a D now, you've heard what I have to say. And so therefore I just have to say it in a better way or with different words or with, and, and it, whenever you assume that somebody knows something and you start speaking about it, like it's just normal, then you can really alienate people from, from conversation. Um, like, like if, if, if we were to sit down and start having a conversation about football, and start talking about all the specifics and, and kind of the inside lingo and, and this player is better than that player. This team's going to do well. This coaching style and this offense is going to go well against this defense. If you're talking with two people that know what that is, then it's a good conversation. But if, if Joe's over here sitting down and he's never even been explained what the sport is, he's lost. And, and it's not even that he's rejecting the message. It's that he doesn't have a framework for what that message is. Yeah, and, and so I think we – we get we kind of get lost that person kind of gets lost in the jargon and they they completely miss the overarching message if you don't get back to the foundation and where you're trying to take it from there absolutely um so second thing we need to allow time for gospel truths to take root yes so that's that whole sanctification and calling process so we're 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 
we're going to keep the conversation going. We're going to keep um, sharing truth, sharing light, sharing life, and ultimately get to that punchline. Yeah. And so it's a building up and a moving towards, but ultimately everything that we do, a conversation, the way we interact with a person is all built around directing and pointing that relationship to Christ. Because ultimately that's what we should be doing in any relationship, not just when we're trying to share the gospel, whether it's a relationship with a friend that goes to church with us, uh, a relationship with our parents, a relationship with a teacher, friends at school, whatever it may be, or somebody we're trying to share the gospel with. It needs to be pointed and directed by the gospel. And so everything that we do is ultimately derived off of truth. Yeah. And there's that countercultural patience that's going to have to go with this. So in, in a society where I want the news, I'm going to look at my Twitter app. I want to know the score. I'm going to go to my NFL app. I want to be able to, to this kind of instant gratification that can carry over to, to how we see of our effects in, in spirituality and evangelism and the God. And, and so it's not always going to be this direct, okay, I've shared the thing. You either say yes or no, and you make a definite answer right now for the rest of your life for all of eternity. And right. it's cause, cause it's more, and that's not for their benefit. That's for the person's giving the information's benefit because they want to know how successful are we going to be. So I think that's the, the duality of a results-based culture and an instant gratification culture produces the project mindset behind evangelism. Yeah. And I think that's why the prosperity gospel is so rampant. I mean, people are like, Hey, if I do this, then I'm going to get this. I'm going to have a jet. No, you're not. Yeah. And so, it, and it's it it takes it takes time. One of the one of the quotes in here in the article is our mission in a post Christian society may look less like that of Billy Graham and D L Moody, and more like that of William Carey, who waited seven years before he saw his first convert. Right. So yeah. I think we're probably past the age of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people gathering in a stadium to hear Billy Graham or D L Moody, and then thousands coming down to to receive an invitation. And we're probably going to be a lot closer to that. Okay, we're going to see two or three every couple of years. Yeah. And, and being okay with that and being okay with the faithfulness behind that. Um, but even on that note, on the other side of that, um, we I was at annual meeting for the con, for Concord Association, for our, our association of SBC churches here in the River Valley. Um, and one of the things, I'm going blank on his name, I feel terrible about it, but he's the revitalization guy at the state convention. Bostick. Mm, yes. Yeah. Um, Terry, right? Yeah. Terry Bostick. You're um, welcome. Awesome guy. So so he's going through and preaching, and, and, and one of his observations is that one of the greatest needs that America has is the next great awakening, the next spiritual awakening. Ronnie Floyd's been banging that drum for a while. And if I'm honest, whenever I hear that, I kind of sit back, and I think most people from our generation is going to sit back and be like, yeah, okay, we just need to be faithful and let the gospel do what the gospel does. Yes and amen, but I think we also have to be honest, our, our perspective on that is a little skewed because we've never seen it. Right. And some of these other guys like Floyd remembers when like churches all over America were experiencing unexplainable huge growth. Not behind any seeker sensitive thing or anything, but but just those there's been throughout the history of Christianity very clearly documented cases of just booms. Man, yeah, of a man just there's been planting and there's been just you're you're tending and you're tending and you're tending and you're tending and then it's like the holy spirit comes and decides to harvest everything within four years right um and i think that's something that's that that we we shouldn't just look at it and be like yeah that's cool if that would happen but to to actively pray for to to, to see the the hand of god move in 
the ways that he's done in the past, but, but continue for our perspective to be, we're just going to be faithful and we pray that God does this. But even if he doesn't, we're just going to keep on because it might be a generation or two away. Um, but believing that that will happen because that's just in the nature of God to, to harvest what he's planted. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so third, we need to commit to long-term committed relationships with unbelievers. Agreed. I mean, I think when, when you look at the whole point of being salt and light, when you look at the whole point of, um, you know, planning and watering, I mean, God gains the increase and we're not to say when that increase is gained. And so if we're not effectively going out and we just go out and we share the gospel with them and then they say no and we just, oh, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I did what I was supposed to do. That's, that's not how we can, that's not how, that's not glorifying to God. There's still a person, there's still a sinner in need of a savior. And we don't know in God's timing or if God's going to draw and call them. Or, and so we have to be diligent to stay on the battlefield. Yeah. Stay in the battlefield. And that's, uh, I'll go ahead and read, it's, it's like four sentences, so I'll go ahead and just read this little section of it. Um, it says, a model of evangelism that looks at unbelievers as projects becomes even less effective when drive-by gospel proclamation no longer works. Evangelicals need to recover the idea of friendship, purposely and intentionally building relationships with unbelievers that are genuine, normal, and life-giving. So not just, I'm going to be your friend so I can share the gospel, but I'm genuinely going to be your friend. This isn't relational evangelism that avoids conversations about the gospel. It actually requires we share the gospel even more because Christianity is not something that we only do on Thursday nights when we go door to door. It's a way of life. We don't just speak of Jesus in a forced way in order to check it off our list, but we speak about the gospel in a natural way because of our life is hid with Christ in God. And we become like Peter and John who said to the religious authorities in Jerusalem, we can't help but speak of what we have seen and what we've heard. So we can't be quiet about it. And if you're genuinely having friendships with unbelievers, then that's what's going to spill over. Um, and, and that's where I think the, my, my favorite example, and I think I've talked about it before because it's my favorite conversion story other than Paul's and myself's is, uh, is C.S. Lewis. And that what J.R. Tolkien did in those years of being his friend was just this kind of constant. It always came up whenever the Inklings met and they went to their restaurant and they sat down um, to enjoy a, a meal together. They Tolkien would constantly be the one bringing up these thoughts and these these questions. And he also didn't do it in this kind of bombarding let me give you a lot of facts, and, and, and here, Lewis, you deal with this. You're supposed to be a smart guy. You should be smart enough to be able to see that God's real, all that kind of stuff. He just asked questions over years, and it wasn't until yeah. years later that, that Lewis was was converted because of that, of of really Lewis, of uh, Tolkien kind of exemplifying all of these traits, maybe not as much the biblical literacy thing because Lewis was very familiar with the Christian faith, um, but especially being patient and being committed. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I retweeted uh, A.W. Tw Tozer, Tozer. Tozer uh, uh, quote earlier today, and it says, Go to church once a week and nobody pays attention. Worship God every day, seven days a week, and you become strange. And that's what people, mm -hmm. that's what people see in this day and age. They see people that go to church and, 
a couple times a week, and then they want to force the gospel down your throat, and there's no transformation of, you know, just that friendship, that yeah. love, that grace, that mercy that you say that you've received. And so if you say that you've received it, then <laughs> exemplify it with your life. Yeah. And so I think that that's, that's a... That's a big turnoff to a lot of people in this day and age as we share the gospel. And so it's always good to have that bridge that there's a trust and there's a love and there's there's interaction and engagement there before we ultimately jump right into, hey, if you die tonight, where are you going? Yeah. And so if we have a, a leg to stand on there, then we can bridge that gap. Yeah, and especially for the for students to be able to know kind of like how that's perceived of if the only times that you bring up spiritual things with your friends is whenever you invite them to Falls Creek or invite them to to impact, then there's that that's where the inauthentic perspective kind of comes, and they're like, well, you just want me to come to to this or that, and and you don't even care about it unless it's in June or February. Yeah, I I totally agree, and so. That you kind of get taught, you kind of get tied into that. Oh, what do we call that? Um, We call it, we call it um, the advanced base, the attractional, attractional model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we call that the attractional model, and then that that's what church becomes about. Yeah. Well, I'm going to invite somebody to church so I don't have to share the gospel with them out in my daily life. And, and, and so we take some of the pressure off of ourselves rather than saying, okay, God's called me to do the, call me to do this. God said, hey, go make disciples of all nation, nations, baptizing them in, in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded, and lo, I'm with you to the ends of the age. It's the same thing as uh, Acts 1.8. Well, you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Yeah. I mean— that's in every facet of your life, every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It says, Scripture literally says, whether you eat or sleep, do everything to the glory of God. First, first Corinthians 10.31. I mean, yeah, come on. Um, absolutely. And then and moving, moving towards the end of this, um, there's, there's two challenges um, that, that are presented with this. The, the first is our, our changing environment challenges us in two ways. First, we should be motivated afresh to pursue Christ in such a way that our love for him overflows into every area of our lives. It, um, it was said of the apostles by their enemies, they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. What would our friends say? What would our Muslim or Buddhist or Mormon friends say or secular neighbors? Is it evident that we have been with Jesus? Gospel proclamation must flow out of a gospel um, lifestyle. So, so thoughts on, on that challenge. Um, you know, I'm sitting here looking at, I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm looking at at our Bible study book. And one of the questions is what did the first disciples need in order to be able to spread the gospel? They needed instruction from Jesus. They needed evidence. They needed power and they needed a command. So they needed instruction, which is God's word for our life. Yeah. They needed evidence of who Jesus was and what he had accomplished. They needed the power, which was the Holy Spirit that indwells our lives. And they needed the command of God to go out and make disciples. And so in the challenge for our lives, that becomes every single thing that we engage in. And so on a daily basis, we come into this concept of, of 
how do we live? How do we interact? How do we engage? And what does it look like day to day, minute to minute, hour to hour? That means we got to pick some things out that aren't glorifying and fulfilling to the purpose that God has for our lives mm-hmm. and refulfill those things with the purpose and the plan and the power of God. Yeah. And so I think the challenge is, is relevant as we, as we come into this, this time where it's, it can seem like a lull and it can seem like it's tough and it's dry, but that's probably the greatest time that God can be glorified. Yeah. I mean, as we're faithful to him, he's, he's even more abundantly faithful than we ever will be. Hmm. That's good. Um, the, the second is that, uh, this trend should motivate us to intentionally seek out friendships with people who are not like us. Um, and, and so in high school, that's going to look like if you're in this group, you need to be able to kind of intentionally seek other people out in, in this group or, or that group. And, and you kind of know what those look like in your school. So the two, two main challenges from, from this little article to, to rejoice and love the gospel and to intentionally seek out um, friendship. And this was to, to give him credit. This was Daniel Darling who wrote this as the vice president of communication for the ethics and religious liberty commission of the Southern Baptist convention. So he's such a darling. Hey, darling, Daniel, darling, darling, give him a follow on Twitter. Um, and and so looking at some of the, the further reading, um, here towards the, the back of the Bible study, a couple of quotes that, that Raymond gives us, um, Rico Rice, it is no accident that you know, the people that you do. It is no accident that they're in your path. They need the gospel. You know, the gospel, God wants them to hear the gospel. Um, Martin Luther, it is the duty of every Christian to be Christ to his neighbor. And then we get J. Hudson, J. Hudson Taylor's the last one. It says the great commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Wow. That's a deep. Yeah. Short and deep. That's a Lee, Lee Woodman's new BCM director out at UFIS. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly how he put it, but, but he said, he, he was given kind of the three things that, that you can expect from, from him and kind of the culture that he's going to create in the BCM. Um, we talked about the love for the local church and some other things, but the the phrase kind of thing that he had was, when it comes to the Great Commission, you are either faithfully walking in it or, or actively disobeying. And and so it was something like that. I think I got the, the exact quote wrong. But that kind of, the same thing that Taylor's getting at of this, um, what, what Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. There's no kind of in between when it comes to evangelism. Uh, some books that it, that it suggests, um, kind of go through and, um, name out the ones that, that I've read or we've read the, the gospel and personal evangelism by, by Dever. You've read that one. Yep. Um, really great really, book. Great book. Um, evangelism and the sovereignty of God, probably my favorite, evangelism book that's out there other than um it's a j.i packer yeah it is um deep so deep the that and then um simple church on here the gospel by ray ortland's really great Um, if if you don't want to go out and buy simple church you can stop by my office i'll let you borrow it yeah i think we've got all those books in our office between the two of us yeah um spurgeon's the soul winner also a, a great book on evangelism um Last thoughts for this first kind of intro session. Last thoughts. Um, you know, if I were if I were to say last thoughts, 
I'd say 1 Corinthians 9, 19-22. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more for them. To the Jew I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might not win those under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the laws, outside the law. But to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share it with them in its blessings. Thank you, Paul. Paul. Um Awesome. So, so that's and and my challenge for y'all this week going into whenever you you hear this over the course of the next week, try try to have one gospel conversation with with somebody, preferably somebody that you know well. And what that doesn't mean is that you kind of do what what we call unload the boat, where you go through. Have you heard about the and go through every little step of of the gospel? But to to have a conversation that is centered somehow around Jesus and and the gospel and its effect on on your life. You bet, and that means bridging those those gaps and those relationships and not sticking into your normal group of people. Yeah. So sit with somebody else at lunch, everybody. Word. We out. We out. Have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>